Live from Nashville, Tennessee, it's Dawn and Steve in the morning. Good morning from Moody Radio. Credit score secrets in the persecuted church. Sounds like a novel, but it's not. It's our <laughs> guest today. Be updated with the latest from Todd Nettleton as he returns from the field to tell us about the persecuted church. But up first is Jim Paris from ChristianMoney.com. Call or text 800-555-7898. Well, we are, uh, like Briggs said, happy to welcome Jim Paris to the program here. Talking about credit scores, Jim has written a book called Credit Scoring Secrets, How to Raise Your Credit Score, 100 Points in 100 Days. Unfortunately, credit scores are uh, an important part of life. And Jim, why is it so important for us to pay attention to and try and raise that credit score? Right. So it's not just when you want to borrow money. It's also things like when you get insurance, they look at your credit score. If you rent an apartment, they look at your credit score. Some places when you go to get a job, they look at your credit score. So this is really, you know, it, it is a big deal. It's, it, it really will follow you. And if you don't have a good credit score, it's going to cost you a lot more money in a lot of different venues. That is so interesting. It's like if you don't have money, that it's going to cost you more money, which means you have even less money. Right. And, and it's a cycle that's really hard to break. But you recommend breaking that cycle, trying to rebuild that credit. What is the very first thing we should do if we need to raise that credit score? Right. So, um, I used to own a mortgage company and actually I, I'm actually restarted a mortgage company about a year ago. So um, what's interesting is I've worked with thousands of people to help them fix their credit and use this same recipe. So where most people are at the predicament they're in is once their credit goes bad, that's it. They just don't worry about it anymore. It's kind of like a garden, like that's like a gardening situation. So like all of a sudden the garden becomes overcome by weeds and you just don't go back there anymore. You just don't go back to the garden. And that's what people do with their credit. It's like, oh, I don't even want to know what my credit score is. I don't want to do anything about it. And so they kind of just let it go. And that's how they resolve it. And so there's kind of good news, bad news. So the good news is that your credit score is based almost entirely on what's happened in your credit profile over the last one year to 18 months. Um, which means that all that old stuff is not really that important. You can rebuild really quickly using some of these strategies. So one of the things I get into in this new video that I have out is how to get credit when you have bad credit, because in order to rebuild your credit score, you need to reestablish at least three new credit accounts. So you're going back to that garden, you're pulling out all the weeds, you're starting over again, you're putting a little something, you know, a few seeds in the ground, you're, you're rebuilding that. And it doesn't take long. It takes just a, a few months. In fact, most people can raise their score that are in the 400s and 500s. They can get up 100 points in about 100 days. And I have the blueprint for that in the book. Well, the book is called Credit Scoring Secrets, How to Raise Your Credit Score, 100 Points in 100 Days. And as you talk about uh, opening new lines of credit, you know, people could be a little bit nervous about that, thinking, well, maybe I should do a debit card instead because I got myself in trouble last time because I got some credit. But you say that's not the best way to go, doing the debit card. Why, why do you recommend using secured credit? Right. So when you have bad credit, how do you get more credit? That's sort of the problem. It's like a cycle. You can't, how do I get out of this? So there is a, a product called a secured credit card, which you're required to make a deposit, which stands as the collateral for you to have that card. This is a great way too for younger people to start 
building credit for the first time. Um, so you can get a secure credit card at a credit union, at a bank. It's not the same as a debit card, which uses your own money. This is where you open up a savings account. You put maybe $300 in it, and then the bank will give you a legit credit card with a credit line up to the $300 using that $300 savings account, uh, savings account as a backup in case you don't make the payments. So it's a win-win for both and the bank is is building a new customer. Um, so that's sort of the premise of my system is getting restarted into credit by using secured accounts, both installment loans and credit cards. And you also talk about what our credit score is based on, a third of our credit score based on a surprising factor. What is that? Yeah, so people don't know this, um, but literally 30% of your entire credit score is based on something called debt utilization ratio. That's a fancy phrase, but what it means is the percentage of revolving credit that you have used. So if you have a credit card with a $1,000 space on it, and you've used more than, let's say, $300 or $400, that's going to bring your score down. Because the theory is the higher your balance is compared to what's available, the less uh, financially responsible you are. So in other words, they want to see that you have cards that you're not using too much. Isn't that crazy? So it's like, I got credit, <laughs> yeah. but I'm not using it too much, uh, or at least not past a certain point. So this one surprising factor is something that uh, we show people when you get these new accounts to keep the balances super low, and then you'll get additional points for keeping low balances. Did I hear you say a few minutes ago that the magic number then for opening new accounts is three. Like we, if you do need to rebuild credit, how many credit card, new credit cards, lines of credit should you get? Yeah. So I've done this like literally with thousands of people uh, and ha I have access to the credit bureau. So I'm able to like pull up credit and show this is where you're at. Then this is what you need to do. And all you need is three. So I typically recommend two secured credit cards and then one installment loan. And an installment loan can be secured. Also, you just go into a bank or a credit union, open up a $300 savings account and ask to take a six month or a one year installment loan against your deposit there. Again, it's no risk for the bank. And then you have the two secured credit cards and a secured installment loan. Now the credit bureau doesn't uh, take away points because these are secured. In fact, they don't even really know that they're secured. They still count in the pointing the point system, just like a regular unsecured card would count. You can get this video that you're talking about and the book through christianmoney.com. Is that right? Right. Yeah, there's a link there. The book is on Amazon. It's a Kindle. It's an audio book. It's a printed book, but also the video is free. And I get into really the meat of what's in the book in the free video. And that's linked at the homepage of christianmoney.com. And we'll get that to our Facebook page, Jim Paris, christianmoney.com. Grateful for your heart and help for restoring credit and helping us steward what God has entrusted to us. Don and Steve. Thanks for listening to Dawn and Steve in the Morning. On YouTube today, Moody author Jess Thompson shares about her book, He Loved Them. Join us on the journey to reach 200 subscribers in March. Just need to search for us with the at symbol Dawn and Steve to subscribe. All right. On this eighth day of March, we see a couple of things, one happening today, one just a few days away. What happens when you take melted chocolate and mix it with peanuts? Ooh, you get deliciousness. <laughs> now, see, I would have to say dark chocolate, but that's just for me. Uh, it is National Peanut Cluster Day. Yes, and they were I, celebrating. <laughs> yeah, I look at this picture and I think, 
That almost looks like a praline, or depending on where you're from, a praline. Have you ever had a praline? I have. Have you now? I have. Who made one for you in Yankee Land? I have no idea. Okay. I, I actually, I think the time that uh, I've had them the most was when I would come down to Southern Indiana oh. and uh, work with the radio station down there annually. So yeah. they probably did make those homemade. Then. They probably did, yeah. but yeah, good stuff. It, they look similar. They do, but they don't taste anything. Like. No, they're a little bit different. But I find it amusing uh-huh. that that day shares a day. With the National Registered Dietitian Nutritionist Day. <laughs> I wonder how they feel about that being today. I imagine this is one of the many things that are at odds in our world today is the dietary folks and anything that is National Peanut Cluster Day related. Although you could argue if you really wanted to justify it, which I'm, I feel like I'm the queen of justification most of the time, you could justify that there are... Um, a protein. There's protein. There's protein in, in it. Absolutely. Peanuts. Yeah. So add the dark chocolate. What do you mean? Could justify it? Which is good for That's your heart. That's how you do justify it. <laughs> there you go. There. My work here is yeah, done. Okay. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I see just ahead startled me just a little bit this morning as I was looking at the forecast for this area where the studio is located here in the Nashville, Tennessee area. I saw this little clock between Saturday and Sunday. How did that sneak up on me? Daylight savings time? Come on. Yeah, I always like the one in the fall because we get the extra hour of sleep. Not as big of a fan about losing an hour of sleep this weekend. Especially those who don't get a lot of sleep anyway. That's going to hurt. It is going to hurt. I'm not looking forward to that part of it. But, you know, extra sunlight, that's nice. I love that. I do love the time period of daylight savings time once you get over the hump of getting through yeah. the actual loss of the hour. And and that's that's something that, you know, I my parents live in Eastern time and I live in Central time. It is so funny to talk about whether you lose an hour or gain an hour when you're going into a new time zone. Yeah. I tend to look at it differently than say, some of my friends that live in Eastern Standard Time. And okay. this is the same thing. Like, you lose an hour of sleep. So, to me, you're losing an hour as you spring forward on the clock. But yep. some people say you're gaining an hour because you're springing forward on the clock. Nah, I'm with you on that one. Okay. I've lost an hour of sleep. And I <laughs> gained that back up in the fall. You know, I <laughs> yeah. gained that hour back at that point in time. And it looks like that is probably going to be the case. Yeah. I know that people have been talking for a long time. Like, when are we going to finally put an end to this madness? And when we're going to change we? the clocks? We don't know yet. Oh come on! You know, the Senate yes. passed a bill that said we can do this. I do know that, but mm-hmm. the House has not. And so, oh, and, that's where the hang uh, up so is. We're, we're hung up. You know, people talk about well, we're, we're going there, we're headed there. Well, maybe. <laughs> you know, it would be nice if we could quit having to jump back and forth in that way. But until those who make laws. All get on the same page <laughs> on this. Exactly. Um, we're going to probably keep jumping forward and no. jumping back. So, yes, we do jump forward this weekend. And a daylight savings time is scheduled, at least at this point, to end on November the 5th of 2023. I need the U.S. House of Representatives to get it together before November so that we don't have to keep putting our circadian clocks through this. It is rough. I think the older you get. Exactly. The older I get, the harder it gets. 
Wait a minute. Is this the year that that you hit one of those milestone birthdays? It's possible. Speaking of getting older, it is the year. We we have a few months to plan, but you can help me plan. <laughs> Steve Hiller is going to head to a significant milestone birthday in December. And don't you leave town. Don't you leave town and not let I us I think my Christmas vacation this. may uh, start a little bit early. No, sir. No, sir. Yeah. <laughs> that should not happen. Because you're feeling it, aren't you? The clock change? Oh, yeah. It just hurts. And I've... I've had no problem with the falling back in the fall until, I don't know if it was when I first came back to Moody full-time, like in 2016, but all of a sudden, even falling back was hurting. I'm like, okay, this is not okay. <sighs> not that I'm older than you or anything. No, I'm not going to comment on that. I see you being quiet over there. Mm-hmm. It's wisdom. <laughs> that is it. That's all this gray hair, <laughs> I've earned it. Grab your coffee. Pull up a chair, grab a notebook. One more thing. It's Dawn and Steve in the morning. Now we're ready to start our day. Time to hear about our brothers around the world who are in part of what we call the persecuted church. Call 800-555-7898 to get in touch. Well, to help us have that conversation is Todd Nettleton. He is with Voice of the Martyrs. He is author of When Faith is Forbidden. He is the host of the Voice of the Martyrs radio program and podcast. And Todd, I understand you have been doing a little traveling uh, recently coming back from Southeast Asia. Good morning. Have you, Good morning. Uh, is it is it still morning for you with your body clock? Have you adjusted yet? <laughs> it it's just about back to normal. I still wake up before the alarm goes off, so that I most people would say that's a good thing. But uh, my favorite part of my job is to go and sit down with persecuted Christians and hear their stories and uh, get to talk about God's faithfulness to them and and just hear. On this trip, we heard some really remarkable stories of of God at work, but also of the price that many Christians have to pay to follow Christ. Yeah. Uh, and one of the stories that was when you talked to the pastor of the Mayflower Church, what was going on with that? What is the Mayflower Church? Well, this is a this is a very unique situation. This is an entire church congregation from China that voted as a congregation, they voted to leave China. They said, hey, there is not a future for us here as a church. There's not a future here where we get to raise our children according to our Christian convictions. We're leaving. We're, we're out of here. And it was interesting talking to their pastor, Pastor Pan, uh, this this process started when he had lunch with Pastor Wang Yi. We have talked before about Pastor Wang Yi. He is currently in prison in China for nine years. And he said, over lunch, Pastor Wang Yi looked at him and said, are you ready to go to prison? And mm-hmm. and he said, very frankly, no, I'm not ready. I, I don't want to go to prison. I'm, I'm not ready for that. That is what started the conversations in his heart and with his congregation to say, hey, this is what's ahead of us if we stay in China. Let's go somewhere else. Now, here's the the bad part of the story. They are now a people without a country. There are, there are 62 of them, I believe. There are several who are pregnant, so there's going to be 65 soon, and they're in the refugee process. They've gone to the United Nations and said, hey, we want to be registered as refugees. Ultimately, they hope to come to the U.S., uh, but that process could take five years, so it is, it's not a fast process for them to get to a new homeland. Hmm. So as you had the com- uh, opportunity to have the conversations about this and you kind of think through all that they're walking through right now, and as you process that, like, wh- what's the best way that we can pray for them and for the situation in China? 
You know, I think a couple things. Obviously, as they're in this refugee process, pray for favor with the authorities. They they each family has to go for an in-person interview. And and two of those families have been through that. There are 14 families left to go through that process. And uh, I asked the pastor, so is that like half an hour? Is that like an hour? He said, No, that's all day. Uh, they ask all kinds of questions to to kind of prove and verify, yes, I am a refugee. Yes, if I go back to China, I will be persecuted. I will will be put in prison. So pray for them through that process, but pray for their spiritual health as well. Uh, you can imagine waiting for up to five years with no status. They they can't work. They don't have uh, employment status. Their kids can't go to school. They don't have status to do that. Five years is a long time to be in that situation. And so uh, pray for them spiritually. And then I think of, of the Christians still in China, and I think often of Pastor Wang Yi. Uh, pray for those who are still there and are suffering uh, the things that the Mayflower Church hoped to avoid suffering. It's hard to relate. It just is hard to relate. So I'm thankful that you always are ready to have these conversations with us so that we can stop and ingest this, digest it, and certainly pray. I know you're having a conversation that's going to air this weekend on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Pastor Penn. Do we say it Pan or Pan? Yes, Pan. That, yeah. that is Pastor Pan is the pastor of the Mayflower Church. Our conversation, we taped it. And uh, so we'll be sharing that this weekend on VOM Radio. And I think it will help us to pray. Uh, but it's also like, this is such a unique situation. I, I've never known a church to do this. And, you know, you think I think about my church. If we gathered together and said, hey, we're having a business meeting at church and we're going to vote if we're all going to move to a different country. Uh, I just think about that discussion and that process and and how how fraught that would be for everyone there and many of the people in his church were professional people they had good jobs they had good careers they all decided to pack up because they didn't see a future for themselves and for their children in China mm -hmm. it's just it, it's mind blowing and yet it's something that i think as we hear the stories as we engage in prayer we intercede for other brothers and sisters across the globe it also is a preparation because you never know when things are going to change and we as christ followers we need to be ready in season and out of season to continue to share the gospel of jesus christ and know that he has made a difference in our own lives to a really, really deep degree. We are continuing a conversation with Todd Nettleton in just a few moments, Voice of the Martyrs, and of course, connecting you with all the work there. We'll do that through our Facebook page, Don and Steve in the morning. Head on over to Facebook to get hold of info of all of today's show, all the guests you're listening to, Dawn and Steve in the morning. And we're talking to Todd Nettleton, persecution.com. As Todd, you're sharing so many different stories from overseas and our brothers and sisters in Christ that truly do suffer for the gospel. But sometimes these folks are coming to a relationship with Christ through a show of God's power. It's not necessarily the gospel where someone has come and shared that truth with them, but God has shared himself. Tell us about one of the pastors that you spoke with that said, hey, I came to faith in Christ because of this story. You know, it's interesting in Laos, especially at the village level, the, the traditional religion is kind of an animism of, you know, the spirits of the village, the spirits of the lake, the spirits of the rain. And so when Jesus shows up and says, I'm more powerful than all those spirits, that is oftentimes what leads people to faith in Christ. And we talked to a guy who's a pastor now, uh, but before he was a believer, he said he was oppressed 
I would say by demonic activity. He said every night he would have terrible nightmares and he would have visions of horrible things. And he heard about Jesus and he prayed and said, Jesus, if you're real, take care of this for me, take care of this problem. He said that night, he slept through the night completely peacefully. He woke up the next morning and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. Obviously, Jesus has power over these other things. I'm going to follow him. He's the most powerful. And one of the things that happens when you come to faith that way is nothing will knock you off course. It's like, well, sure, you can kick me out of the village, but I saw that Jesus is the most powerful. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to keep following him. Sure, you can maybe tear down my house or you can make trouble for me, but I saw Jesus' power. I'm going to follow him. And we heard story after story that way. And, you know, like I said, they won't be knocked off course. Hmm. And uh, for those who do come to know Jesus, the level of persecution that they may face, I, I uh, hear you say, depends on how much maybe a village leader, how much, uh, you know, they may believe or not believe in Christianity. Yeah, this was a fascinating thing to me in story after story. If every village has a leader and he is kind of assigned by the communist leaders of the country, you're in charge of this village. You need to make sure and keep the peace. You need to make sure everyone's a good communist. If that village leader is opposed to the gospel, the Christians in that village will have maybe very intense persecution, but they will definitely have persecution. If that village leader is not opposed to the gospel, maybe his wife has come to faith, maybe someone in his family is a Christian, and he's seen the difference that the gospel makes in people's lives— there probably will be zero persecution in that village. I mean, he literally is the gatekeeper of whether or not there will be persecution. And I asked one of the pastors, I said, are you are you reaching out to village leaders trying to win them uh, to, to make sure there's no persecution? He said, absolutely. He said, oftentimes they will have like celebrations on Christmas or celebrations on Easter. They will invite the village leader. They will make sure he has a place near the front. They'll make sure he walks away with a gift in his hands and has a good experience at that service because he literally controls whether or not there will be persecution for them. Wow. Wow. Just amazing, the stories and the encounters that you've had, Todd. One of the encounters recently was with an American couple kicked out of China, but only after the husband was detained and interrogated. How intimidating that must be. Can you give us a highlight of this story? Yeah, this was an amazing story. You know, we think an American passport is kind of protection from persecution. That was not the case for this family. He was detained very intensely, interrogated by the Chinese police. The interesting, there were lots of interesting things here, and we're going to share this next month on VOM Radio, but lots of interesting things. They had been watching him for five years, so they knew a lot about what they had do, done, who they had talked to, what was going on. The other thing that I found really fascinating is at one point in the interrogation, they laid on a table a, a sheet of paper that had names and titles and pictures of his mission organization leadership from him all the way up to their U.S. headquarters. So they knew who his boss was. They knew who their boss was. They knew who that guy's boss was all the way up to the, the president of the organization back in the United States. So clearly they knew what was going on. They had put a lot of effort into figuring this out, knowing who was who, who did what. 
that thing kind of scares me, honestly, as someone, because they are doing their best to shut down Christianity in China and especially to get rid of foreign Christians. Understand uh, in the last 30 seconds we have, many have been uh, forced to leave, others not being allowed to, to come back in. This sounds like, Todd, is a really coordinated effort. Yeah, the, you know, a lot of times leaders will say never waste a good crisis. The Chinese government has used the COVID crisis to get rid of, and I've heard estimates as high as 5,000 foreign Christians who aren't in China now that were in China when COVID started. They have used COVID and other means to get rid of as many Christian foreigners as possible. Todd Nettleton with us. Uh, he is the host of Voice of the Martyrs Radio. He is also author of When Faith is Forbidden. And love checking in with Todd. Uh, not always the uh, most feel-good stories that we get to share, but it's a reminder that we do have brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering persecution and that we can be praying for. I encourage you to connect with Voice of the Martyrs. Their website is persecution.com. That's persecution.com.